Um, and I'm going to start this recording. So we're going to talk about administration and leadership. Uh, Deanna is going to talk to us about administration. And then I'm going to talk about leadership. But I'm also going to invite you guys to participate to share how you have been in positions of leadership as well. So, yeah. So All prepare right. your thoughts. Prepare your thoughts. All right. Who has the gift of administration? Number two. Mm -hmm. what, what number was it? Really? Okay. It was your second. Anybody else? It was your first. Me too. It was my top. Do it. Teacher. Okay. Was teaching second or third? I guess. No. No. Interesting. Well, it was my my top one. Um, so while I was preparing for today, I learned a lot about myself because I was a little more in tune to what I was studying and reading about, um, both good and bad. So it was, it was really a, a good um, experience for me to prepare for today. So, so as we always do, let's define administration. And I found several dif different definitions and I've, I'm gonna list a few up here. The first one, the spirit given ability to understand what makes an organization function and the special ability to plan and execute procedures that accomplish the goals of the group. And then the second one, <clears throat> to guide and direct a group of people towards a goal or a destination. The first one is kind of more procedure and planning in administration. The second one is related to, to people. And we'll talk a little bit more about that um, later on. I found that since we're talking about leadership and administration today, they're so similar. But I found that leadership, or I found that administration is more goal-oriented. I don't know if that, is that up here. Yeah. It's more goal-oriented and more concerned with detail and organization. Um, so that's a little bit of a difference. All right, is anybody in here a Greek scholar? No Greek? Okay, good. <laughs> um, because I don't know how to say this word, but... Kubernetes is phonetically correct, uh, and uh, the meaning, and I think this is the word that's used in the Corinthians passage when it's talking about all the gifts, but it means to steer, rule, or govern. So the picture we have here is a steerman of a ship, and the steerman's responsibility is to guide that ship into harbor in peaceful waters, <coughs> over rocks, over um, you know, storms, whatever the pressure, that's his job, is to guide that ship. So that's the picture of an administrator. You've got someone who is following through with a plan or a procedure, and they're guiding that to its destination no matter the circumstance. They're gonna be a good, um, it, they're gonna do a good job no matter the circumstance. Calm waters, storms, rocks, whatever. So no matter the circumstance, they're gonna be effective. So, <clears throat> Like we talked a little bit about in the definition, there are two, top, two styles of administration. Now, I don't want to get into a lot of organizational management, but I just thought this was interesting. So the two styles, one is organizes things, events, and programs. Two is organizes people, and the emphasis is more on personal relationship and leadership. Um, ideally, I think a really good administrator can merge the two and um, carry out plans and procedures while guiding people through that um, process. So let's look at some characteristics of a good administrator. This is where I, I learned a lot about myself. The first one I listed up here is that we are efficient. 
we take great satisfaction in a well-run organization. And when I read this, studying on this, this trait, the first thing that came to my mind was <clears throat> being called to a meeting that starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so we, administrative types, show up a little bit early um, and expect the meeting to start at 8 o'clock. But what you find is um, people trickle in 8, 10, 8, 15. The, whoever's holding the meeting's not even there yet. Um, so that they show up at 8.15, meeting gets started about 8.20, and um, it goes in this direction, and then it's kind of reeled in, and then it goes in this direction, and then it goes in this direction, and after two hours, you leave the meeting, and you wonder, what did we accomplish? <laughs> it could have been an email. Yeah, this could have been in an email. And people like me, people like us, it drives us crazy because we want to show up on time. We want there to be an agenda. We want to feel like we've, we've tied something up. You know, we've brought something together and accomplished something. Whereas other people, it doesn't bother them at all. They were there for the fellowship. They got to see people they hadn't seen in a long time. And they leave and they're just happy. But it drives we people crazy. Um, are you, you're like that too, aren't you? Yeah. All right. We're organized. We like order. We do not like chaos. A good administrator is a good delegator. Sometimes administrators aren't good delegators because we have our thoughts and ideas and we want to have it done that way. We want that control. But if you're a good administrator, you're going to find good people and delegate and work through other people that way. So we can put a plan on paper and then distribute responsibilities effectively. We're also responsible, usually. Um, conscientious, and I thought this last one was funny, but it is so true. We take charge when no one else is, and sometimes even when they are. And we got to step back and say, wait, there's somebody else that's, you know, can do, can do this just fine. I just need <coughs> to step back. Which brings me to the next slide, the da uh, some dangers and admonitions. And this is where, you know, I really had to think about myself and um, how I administer sometimes. Um, we can put projects before people. We're so focused on the destination and the goal. We want to get there, and we don't take the time to think about other people. Um, we can overmanage or take over. Um, <clears throat> we need to step back and think and listen to people and know these people may have good ideas too. And this last one, I really, um, I've gotten better about as I've gotten older, but Types like us, sometimes we can be headstrong and have opinions, which could be good opinions and right opinions. But again, we've got to learn to listen to other people. And, and I've found, especially in church work and sitting on church committees, um, I have, I've really tried to stop and step back before going to the meeting and pray, especially if I know it's going to be a difficult meeting, perhaps, with people that I might not always see eye to eye with. And just, you know, Really, really ask the Spirit to direct my thoughts, to direct my mouth, to know when I need to speak and when I need to close it. Um, so that, that was helpful for me to, to read that. Does anybody have any comments on what, we've, or what I've said so far? Any experiences that would be helpful to, to share? Do you see yourself in any of these characteristics, maybe, if you have this gift? I had to let somebody go about a week ago, and 
I was praying for the meeting. Please just give me the right thing to say and the things not to say. Well, I don't know if this is Allie Schwab and you're like the president of a transportation company, so you administer every day. Yes. And yeah, that's that's got to be difficult. Okay. Do you think, I have a question. Do you think that this is more of a left brain kind of thing? Because like, I know Kevin is, if, when you say you're left brain, more analytical in your thinking, or, or not? I don't know. I, I, I kind of tend to be, when, I'm, when I have a project like something that I've done in the past, I, I'm one of these people that try to do it all. And I'm not a good, unfortunately, I'm not a good delegate. Mm -hmm. But because I want things done a certain way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm not absolutely the most organized person, but there are certain things that I organize well. But I, I, so I don't know whether it's, I, I have ADHD, and I, part of my thought process about that is that my, right and left hemispheres are pretty much equal. And they fight, my creative side fights with my mm. analytical side. And so I'm <coughs> just really a lot in the middle, so. That's interesting. That's one thing my husband and I have talked about as we're raising children, because um, we are both very task-oriented people. And I'm probably more detail-oriented than he is, but he still, um, because of you know what he does, he. He's a contractor, so he has to be, you know, focused on detail. <laughs> but, you know, a three-year-old is not too task-oriented. And it just frustrated us so much when we would say, well, maybe not to a three-year-old, but, you know, once they got older, to, we need you to do this to your room. And we thought, that's all we needed to say. So you go in, and you're like, really? I mean, do I have to tell you every single little thing to do? This is not cleaning your room. And you do. Because they are like they think it's clean, but anyway, we we worked through all that now, sort of. They're 16 and 20, but <laughs> this this was my number one one. But it, it's funny because as a teacher, um, there's lots of meetings I went to that sure. started at eight and really didn't start till eight thirty. Yeah, yeah. And it, I would always be the first one there with the paper, the pencil, uh -huh. the, you know, ready to go. You know, and um, what I had a principal called me into his office one day after school. Two other people in there, and he said, "All right," he said. I have this big committee. I've picked you three because I know you'll get the job done and we won't have to meet 20 times and we won't have to have coffee over it. You're going to do this, you're going to, you know. So it was like he knew the three of us. He recognized that yeah, in you. Recognized yeah, that's that, great. Which I thought was really interesting. And we did. We came together one more time and met and everybody had their stuff done and we were all ready to roll. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was It's good that he, as a good administrator, recognized that you exactly. would be a good administrator too. Yeah. Welcome to yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a good thing. Okay. It's a really good thing. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I think that from a danger perspective is, is burnout. Because when you do try to do it all your own. When you try yeah. to do it all, it can really yep. get to a point where you just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I was going to say, I do think it's usually helpful for administrators to, to be considered of other people to get outside views on what's going on. Uh, because some people, I'm not a great administrator, but I do have the right side of like analytics to see it. But I, most people who I've found are good administrators. They enjoy getting things done that like intrinsically satisfies them. 
for me, I just want to understand a problem. So if I see the answer, I'm not interested in executing it because I've already, I'm bored with it. So I need someone who can go ahead and do it. But, so you identify the problem and yeah, and then, and then once I solve lesson. the problem, I'm not interested in actually like pivoting yeah. the situation. Like, oh, I understand this. Let me go find something else I understand. Uh -huh. And so sometimes though, when someone is kind of can get narrow-minded and kind of tunnel vision, step back and ask someone else who kind of is not who can help see the problem, but is not necessarily in it enough, you know, invested yeah. in what's going on, but can still contribute to you going, hey, maybe here's a way to tweak it to make uh -huh. it more efficient, or here's. And so getting sometimes getting people in who don't necessarily have the skills to do it, but can also see. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's a great picture of how we're gifted differently and wired yeah. differently. So, and you know, that's, well, I'm the one before talking about overmanaging and taking over. Right. It's so important to listen to other people. They have good ideas too. All right, I have two scriptures. One is in the New Testament, one's in the Old Testament. Um, since I'm here already, I'll read the first one. But if someone else could look up the Exodus passage. It's kind of long, but I think it's worthy of, of reading. Acts 6, 1 through 7 says, <clears throat> In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. <clears throat> this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so that I can't pronounce. Um, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And as I was reading this, I thought, this is not just a story. This these were real people in the early church. They had to have had problems just like, well, maybe not just like, but you know, they had problems that they had to work out just like we do. And um, I don't know, you just think about what were their problems? Of course, we read a lot about that in the New Testament in the letters, but I think it's interesting. These were people that had to deal with problems in the church just like we do. But... Um, you know, the problem was identified, like Austin was talking about. A plan was presenting, presented, good people were given the responsibility, it was delegated, and then lastly, they prayed over those men. So I just thought that, that was a great picture of administration in the New Testament. It's, uh, who has the Exodus passage? I do. Go. Uh, I do. Oh. <laughs> and you so it go was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people. He said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, that you do is not good, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God and the people, so that they may bring the difficulties to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. 
Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all this. People will also go to their place in peace. But Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So he judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. You said burnout talks about that in here. I was reading this passage early February, I think, and I thought, oh, i got to use this if I talk about administration, and, and I ended up doing that. It's just such a perfect example. And when I first read it, I thought, okay, God picked Moses to lead, I don't know how many, at one point it was over half a million people. Um, I don't, why couldn't he see, like, to implement this plan? But then the more I read it, I thought, no, Moses was a good administrator. He had to be to do what he did. But to me, this was more an example of he was probably very overwhelmed, I would think, and he needed somebody to come and just say, have you thought about this? And the good thing is Moses listened. Um, I mean, this was a, a brilliant plan on, you know, someone older than him, and he listened to him. So I really liked that example. All right, I want to share with you all how I have used my gift of administration within Auger Creek. Um, about 10 years ago, this will be my 10th summer, I became head over the kitchen at our church camp. And it's always been around 250 to 300 people, but I've um, been to camp 14 years, but took that over 10 years ago. And before camp, let me show that first slide. Here's all my papers, not all of them, but some of them. Before camp, it's a lot of details and organization and um, taking inventory and adjusting uh, recipes to how many people are coming that are different from last year, making my lists, and, and it sounds kind of overwhelming, but I love, I know I'm weird, I love having all my papers spread out and you know, marking through them and changing, and then I go on the computer and I adjust all my files and change them and I print out, and I meant to bring this pink clipboard, it's about 15 pages long, then I have another one, this one, is about 25 to 30 pages long, and it literally lists what time we get up, what time to turn the ovens on, when to put the biscuits in, how long they stand, but I have to do that because if I don't have it so specific, I have nine people to come into me every five minutes. Okay, what do we need to do now? What do we need, what do we need to do now? And this, they have loved having this. Anyway, I'll show you that to show this is the plan and procedures and the details. Once I get to camp, I'm working with a staff, and a lot of these are just my best friends and wonderful people. So it really does make it easy when we like each other, but it's still managing people. And when you're tired and you're hot, still being nice, and 
you know, listening to them. Um, so this job for me has been, you know, merging the plans and procedures with the administration of people, and it's been one of the best, the best, one of the best weeks of my life. Just being able to work with these people and, and seeing these kids come through. You see, you know, they, they come through two different lines and you see different kids at three meals a day. And um, it's just a really, it's been a really great outlet for me since I've been a stay-at-home mom for 20 years to use that gift to serve um, here at the church. Of course, Rubio has to be up here in front with his security face on like he does. He not no, he is not in the kitchen. <laughs> He's not in the kitchen. Um, but anyway, it's just a sweet, a sweet week for us. All right, I want to read one thing, <clears throat> and then I, I want, like Eric was saying, um, if you do have this gift, how you might have used it here or in other places. Uh, maybe if you have worked for a really great administrator, your experience with that, um, I want you all to, to share. But I found this, and, well, let me just read it, and then I'll tell you what I thought about it. The gift of administration is really needed in the Christian community. St. Paul spoke many times about the church as a body with many essential parts, each being necessary for the body to function wholly. People with the gift of administration may well hold the key to pulling all the various parts together in harmony. Being able to absorb detail, organize, and delegate are traits of this gift, and these, quali and these qualities, when employed effectively, can be helpful in allowing the Holy Spirit's work in one committee to complement rather than conflict with the, uh, the work of another. <clears throat> the instincts for what comes first and what follows, who can plug in where and how to arrange things so that everything fits into the schedule or that everything gets done are sorely needed in a busy church environment. This is a wonderful spiritual gift to have. With this gift, you can help the church get in order and stay in order. That orderly, orderliness surely pleases God for he ordered the whole world. The piece of God's image that he placed in you, which we, which we here refer to as the gift of administration, is so like him. Marvel at the awesome detail God has attended to in creation. You like detail too, so you have a special propensity to feel his pleasure when attending the detail and carrying out your ministry. Your work in the church can help bring focus to what we undertake. You can assist us in seeing the way to get where we know we need to go. You have the gift that can help us manage our resources and be better stewards of our time and talent. <clears throat> when I read that, it was so affirming to me because people with, that don't have this gift oftentimes don't get us. I've sat in meetings before where I've brought something up and I, I can see the eye roll. You know, it's like, they don't get it. And you know, I don't get their gift either maybe. But this was affirming to me because I feel like oftentimes I've apologized for my attention to detail in an organization. I don't need to apologize for that. You don't need to apologize for that. God is a God of detail and order, not of chaos. And for some reason, he has put that in us to carry out his work. And again, there are um, dangers to it. And I think if we're aware of that, um, we're able to step back, hopefully, and say, I really need to listen better or, or whatever. But um, this was really good for me to read because a lot of times I feel like this might not be a gift. To, you know, some people don't see it as a gift. So anyway, that was affirming for me. So now that you've had some time to think about it, have you used your gift here or in other places? Um, perhaps your experience with a not-so-good administrator or a really good administrator? 
Does anybody have a story tale? You told the story, but you have another story? Well, the, the one thing I've learned over the years, because we've worshipped at many different congregations, because mm -hmm. um, we moved around a lot, is that um, you can jump right in and, and take hold of something and make it really great, and then people that help you along the way get interested in it. And so there's been a lot of times that people have said, you know, or I have looked at a person and said, do you want to do this now? And um, sometimes it's a little bit painful because you're not really ready to give it mm -hmm. up, you know, because it's, it's fun to be in charge of it if you have this gift. But um, a lot of people are ready to step in then. And so yeah. I've, I've just learned from getting teachers to, to organizing Bible school material to teaching to running the Secret Sisters to whatever job it is, there are people that want to come alongside that, yeah. that don't know how to do it, but really have a desire to want to do it. And so you need to let go of some yep. too, yep. along the way. And that's what I'm about ready to do with camp. Uh-oh. <laughs> so if you know anybody that has that gift, let bring them my way, because um, haven't been very successful so far. Sure. So, And it will be, it'll be hard for me to give it up, just because it's been, you know, my, my husband, all of us were there early on. And then it got to be where my husband couldn't go, but it's just great memories. It's been such a great thing for my children. That's just impacted them that that week. But um, it'll be time. I'll know when it's time. It'll still be hard, but exactly. It's all done already. It's all done for you. Yeah, I get my clipboard gets made fun of too, but I get little snarky notes written on it. I find the next morning, you know, from people. I mean, it's all in love, I know, but still, <laughs> still, I'm like, look. Anybody else have a story? Anything they want to share? All right. Well, we're going to talk about leadership next, and that that passage. Um, about Moses and Jethro, I think is really good because it shows. I think Moses is the great leader, <coughs> and good leaders surround themselves with good people. And Jethro apparently has the gift of administration, or at least the wisdom to see Moses. You're doing way too much, and so leadership and administration are very similar. But I think that passage kind of illustrates the difference in that you know Moses can be a good leader, but still needs to to employ the gift of administration, which he got from Jethro, in order to make things happen a little bit more efficiently. So, um, yeah, I didn't mention those, but... Oh, yeah, these are some ministries that definitely need that gift. Um, okay, <coughs> did anybody go to the Enneagram conference this weekend? No? Okay. All right, well, we won't go down that road, but... Um, the Enneagram is just kind of a way of, of looking at different personality types, and so there's nine different types. Like, I think Austin and I might be the same type. I'm just guessing. But um, anyway, I, I think there are certain personality types that lend themselves to these different gifts as well. Uh, my type, I'm a five for the record, um, my type is the type that has very high leadership skills, but I don't necessarily put myself into a leadership position. So I tend to find myself, although, I mean, I, I lead a lot of ministries here at Otter Creek and um, lead different community things that I begr do begrudgingly. 
But um, I tend to find myself in positions of leadership that I haven't sought out. For example, um, uh, years ago, a lifetime ago, I was in the Air Force. And when I first got into the Air Force, I was just enlisted, so you go to basic training for six weeks. <clears throat> and everybody tells you before you go off to basic training, just uh, you know, keep your head down, mind your own business, don't volunteer for anything. Like that's rule number one, don't volunteer for anything. So I'm just going and minding my own business. I was kind of older than most of the kids. Most, most of the kids are like 18. I was 21, so I was pretty old. Um, anyway, so I'm just trying to mind my own business and get through these six weeks, which is such a chore, you know. And invariably, every turn, every week, I got put in charge of something. Okay, hey Livingston, we need you to be the, whatever, the airman leader for this group of people. And Hey, airman Livingston, we need you to march the, whatever, I don't even remember, <laughs> I don't remember what you call a group of Air Force people. Flight, march the flight uh, across across the base to wherever. So I have to. So I don't know why, but I just tend to kind of get put in positions of leadership. Uh, those are just small examples, but that just happens over the course of my life. Now, once I'm in those positions, I do well. I feel like I do have the gift of leadership, but I don't tend to like seek it out. Um, another quirk of my personality type is I tend to sit back and let other people take the lead. And then when I see that what they're doing is failing or not working well, then I step in and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Let me solve this. Let me make this run a little bit more efficiently. Um, anyway, that's just my tendencies. But um, what about you? Yeah, before we get into this, I'd love to hear your stories. How are you? How have you been in positions of leadership, um, whether it's in your career or in your family or in your neighborhood HOA or what, whatever kind of leadership position you may have been in. Share share that with the group if you would. And tell us if you like that or something you dread. Any examples? So yeah. as Deanna mentioned, yeah. Yeah. I am from a trucking company. I inherited it from my father. Okay. And I am not a detailed person. Okay. So I was born into this role, not yeah. because I, I mean, I feel like I'm a leader, but when you talk about having good people around you, that's where I learned early on. You've got to have these right. two people in place. And then your job's not so hard. But if you, I mean, like when she's up there talking about being so detailed, I'm not. I wish I was. And I, you know, I hate it sometimes. Right. That's why you have to have somebody. Like, uh, for instance, Dave Rubio was in that picture. Uh, Rubio is a great soul, one of, one of my best friends. Um, and does not have the gift of organization. Like if we were to rank 1,700 people at Otter Creek and their gifts of organization, Rubio's gonna be last. <laughs> but he has Merritt Rowe, who is his assistant, and she is phenomenally organized and keeps David on task and says, David, this is what you're doing today, this is where you need to be. And, so, and he knows that he doesn't have that gift, so he goes to Merritt and says, Merritt, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And that's why it works. Yes. That, absolutely, because he, yeah. he listens to her, just like Moses is listening to Jethro. You have to have a little bit of humility to be able to listen to those good people once you get around you. Anything else? Any other positions of leadership? Uh, when I was in management, I don't know if it was at but uh, I, every time I got a new group of people working for me, the first thing I always did is told them that my job is not to do your job, but to remove every obstacle that keeps you. 
And so I, that always worked for me. Uh, it worked for them because they knew, hey, when I got a problem, I'm going to bring it to him. He's going to solve it. But a lot of times, I let them solve it. The, you know, it was removing those obstacles I kept. Absolutely. That's a key element that we're going to talk about is leadership is not just about accomplishing the mission. It's about bringing other people with you, hence leading which connotes that there are people following, right? So leadership is force for me, and otherwise it's encouragement, teaching, and knowledge, but I okay. think that that kind of pulls in and has led to like the different leadership positions I was in, like, I mean, high school, student body president, you know, college on judicial board, part network, and they're looking at me for some leadership positions right now, and so I think like it, it has all carried through, but I think part of it is going to be like in, encourage and pull people behind you know, and then I like the forward thinking and strategic stuff yeah. too, but then once you know about a problem and you can tell people what to do, like that also fits in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you have to be able to kind of see the vision, see where you're yeah. going, but then the, the secret is to be able to bring people with you to help, really, really it's to help mm -hmm. others see the same vision that you're seeing so that they, that's, so that they want to go there as well. All right. Um, all right, we're going to go through this quickly. Um, so leadership, the God-given ability to cast vision, motivate, and direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God. Uh, certainly this is a God-given gift, as all of these are that we've, we've been talking about. But leadership is something that you can, uh, as, as a skill you can hone over time. So you can be born into a position and develop these, these qualities. Some people are more naturally gifted in it than others, but it's something you can, you can work on. All right, stories of leadership, we just did that. Um, so leadership hopefully motivates others to perform at their best. Uh, a good leader will always take responsibility for what's going on, whether good or bad. Um, they're the person that casts vision, establishes goals, and um, in, a, in a community of faith context, uh, provides direction for God's people. Um, so ways to use leadership, uh, obviously being a, a ministry leader, a team leader, small group Bible study leader, uh, uh, working in church leadership or um, in other groups like children and youth leader. Uh, we, you know, obviously there are lots of different places to lead in a church, and so you can use that. Okay, I wanted to find, um, uh, I wanted to find like one of those uh, cheesy motivational poster things on leadership. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. So, but I found several other things. Uh, this is a good uh, quote from John Quincy Adams. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are a leader. Um, this was actually supposed to be ahead of that. But there are you know, millions and millions of books written on leadership. This is a skill that, especially in American culture, Western culture, we value this skill more than any other. Uh, hence the salary of CEOs and presidents and things like that. So uh, leadership is something we very much value. I said early on in this class uh, a few weeks ago, um, I think in the church, uh, we, we can get caught valuing leadership too much because really the only reason any of us are in the church is because we are all followers of Jesus, right? So um, yes, we need people with leadership skills, but the ability to follow is really even more important. The ability to follow Jesus is really what we're all doing here. And we need some guides along the way but, but that's important. Um, okay, here's here's these kind of funny quotes. Not funny, just they're quotes. 
Uh, great leaders don't set out to be a leader. They set out to make a difference. It's never about the role, always about the goal. So you don't, you don't covet the role of leadership for the sake of being in that position. It's because you want to move the organization forward. And this, I think, is why we never have good political candidates. <coughs> because political candidates tend to want the office for the sake of holding the office. Uh, I say never have good political candidates. Occasionally we do, but you know. Um, but it seems in politics that people are wanting the office more than the role of serving the public. So that's, that's what makes it difficult. Uh, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Leaders aren't born, they are made, and they are made just like anything else through hard work. That's the price we have to pay to achieve that goal or any goal. And then I like this one. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go ought to be. Okay, so some thoughts about leadership. Uh, I want to share this uh, video with you real quick. It's just a, a couple of minutes and we'll conclude with this. Um, it's funny, it's kind of silly, kind of corny. Uh, it actually comes from a TED Talk. It's like a five-minute TED Talk. This is even sh shorter. This is called uh, How to Start a Movement. So it's, it's silly and funny, but it is deep. Okay, so if you, if you think, I mean, feel free to laugh if you want, but think about what the guy is saying, and it is very true, uh, very deep. So we'll watch How to Start a Movement. If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional. This is key, you must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. So he takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out, you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut, and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd, and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers, because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point, and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute, you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Our leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. 
There's no movement without the first follow. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in. So, uh, a funny illustration, but man, it is true. Like, if, you know, this, this guy dancing the lone nut, he doesn't have any vision of bringing 400 people along with him. He's just following the vision of, I'm going to dance and be silly and have a good time. And then that vision is what it infects everyone else. So, um, and then I love what, what he says about, um, that leadership is, is overrated. It's the, it's the first follower that really uh, you know, starts the momentum. And that's what, that's what we are. So um, you know, we certainly need leaders in the church, but I, I think our first call is to be good followers of Jesus that help others see the way as well. Yeah, what are, what are your thinking? I was just gonna say, not that this person's alone that, but you've seen that in church where something will happen, someone will stand up, and it's not until the second person stands up that the congregation will then start right. standing up. Right. You know, so yeah. it's just interesting to see you know, the yeah. correlation. It's, the, it's that tipping point. Right. And, and it, so it takes followers. So, uh, and, and that takes courage. That takes um, uh, just a, a good sense of self to be able to do that. But, but I, I feel like that's our call, is to be good followers of Jesus, and in so doing, we can lead others to him. So. All right, uh, next week we're going to talk about a, a couple of these ministries that Deanna had up there that show um, how people are using their gifts of administration and leadership here at Otter Creek. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here. It's fine.